there's one thing that we could all practice that not only would it improve our interpersonal relationships and reduce the occurrences of drama with our friends and family, but if we practice this one concept correctly and accurately, it would also improve our career advancement and improve our sales and allow us to attract our dreams more efficiently because in practicing this one concept, you are automatically doing your part to raise your vibrations. In addition to that, as I implied earlier in this statement, you're also helping to prevent the negative vibrations from affecting your reality. This concept that I speak of is patience. Now it seems like a simple concept and you might already think, oh yeah, I know patience, I'm, I'm a very patient person, but just hear me out. It's a lot more complicated than most people seem to realize. If you ask somebody what patience is, their answer is usually going to be like, is that they wait for something. But that might be a part of it, and if you ask me, I would say it's a very small part of what patience really is. To truly practice patience effectively and in a way that actually works for To practice patience effectively in a way that could actually yield the results that we're speaking of and in such a way that people can actually feel the benevolence of your intentions of being patient is more than just waiting and allowing time to elapse. If you all have been listening to my episodes, you might still remember that I have a hobby of doing wildlife photography, and it's just a great way for grounding to kind of heal yourself by being with nature. And it's also a way for me to make art, and I'm an artist of sorts. So when I'm outside shooting wildlife photography or videos of wildlife, I'm doing two of the things that I really enjoy in life, and that's just being with nature and feeling the healing energy of nature while also creating art. However, to get some of the shots that I've taken, I didn't just go someplace where I thought I might find the animal that I wanted to photograph and then just wait there and hope I got a good shot. For example, I made a blog post about this very concept of patience using this same example. I start a blog post with a photograph of an eagle who's diving out of the sky. That photograph I've taken myself and it's actually for sale on my Etsy. I have several photos for sale there, so if you want to check them out and see what I got there, I'll leave a link in the description of this podcast episode. So you can see what I'm talking about when I talk about this eagle. The way that began with the eagle was I was 
getting very interested in wildlife photography and actually invested a lot of money that, to me it was a lot of money, that I really didn't want to spend on anything. As much as I loved the idea of having a good camera, but I one day just woke up and realized, man, too much of my life has passed and I've been wanting to shoot photography for like six years now and I've always felt that I couldn't afford it. So I said, too bad. I'm just gonna get it regardless and I'm gonna do something that I enjoy in my life and ever since then my camera has been a constant part of my life outside of my work life. At least once a week I'm doing something with my camera whether it's making videos of the honeybees that I work with in, in my hive that I have. I post those videos on YouTube. Uh, you can see a lot of videos of different aspects of beehive maintenance and just watching me getting through my first year of beekeeping or again just wildlife photography sometimes uh, on one of my Instagrams I'm working on a personal fitness progress journey and so I also use my camera for that so it was worth the investment but it was a serious investment and I had a lot of learning to do so I took classes on photography I eventually built up the skills where I was prepared to actually pursue a legitimate target and so I went to places where I'd see if I could snap pictures of different forms of wildlife and I got so many different pictures of all these different birds and creatures that eventually I was satisfied with what I had and wanted to move on to different animals. One day I found an eagle in a tree that was literally crossed the street from my house, but this tree was so tall and the eagle was so far up there that I had to zoom really far in there and even then with the lens that I have wasn't good enough to get that close to the eagle to get a really good shot. I did crop it in and once you crop it in it looks good. but. If someone's trying to purchase that photograph for a thing to hang on their wall or something, then that would be kind of like a low quality image at a larger size or they just have to have a small picture that they want to hang, which might be the case for some people. But usually people want something a little bigger than what that would turn out to be. So I go to the pier one day and I get all these hints from people, all these tips that, oh yeah, there's this eagle that's always over here at this park, and he's usually in, in one of those two trees over there, but he's here early in the morning. And at first I was like, well, maybe people see me getting out here with all this gear, and how kind of out of my way it is to, you know, pack everything up and drive over there and then set up everything. And maybe they thought it'd be funny to get me out there really early as a prank, just to make me do a lot of unnecessary driving and just waiting around for something that's never gonna happen, you know? So you never know what people are telling you. But I heard it from enough people that I figured, well, it must be legitimate then. It wasn't some guy who just saw an eagle once or twice and is trying to convince me that the eagle is there all the time. So I go to this park, 
and the trees that they were talking about where I might see the eagle were close enough to this fishing pier that I could you know try to snap pictures of flying birds or whatnot and dolphins and whatever while I'm waiting for this eagle and a lot of times there was not much of anything to take a picture of sometimes it was an absolutely eventless day where there's hardly even a bird in the sky at all not much less <laughs> much less than a bird that I actually wanted to photograph who was flying low enough that I could get a really nice shot of him. So week after week I go through this pier and it was probably the fourth time that I've been to that park and I finally saw the eagle but he was way across the way from where I was actually in somebody else's private property and so I thought okay now might be the day that I find this eagle where I can actually get a picture of him. So I waited for hours and eventually that eagle flew away, but he flew away in some completely other direction and nowhere near where I could get a photo of him, he disappeared. So now I knew that eagle was real. And I went back again and again, really just for the eagle. I didn't care about the other creatures that I've already taken pictures of or whatnot. And about, I don't know, two, three weeks after that first encounter with the eagle, that's when I saw him actually land in those trees where everyone said, oh yeah, he likes to go to that tree. There's like two or three trees there that are in the same area that he tends to, I guess, like to perch himself. So I go there, and this is at the end of my day. I was about to quit when that eagle flew in and landed there. So I set up my tripod and everything. I was trying to get some nice shots of the eagle, but he was in a really bad position where he wasn't a good shot. You could almost not even tell it was an eagle the way he was uh, looking. Basically, he was away from me, and then whenever I turned to the other side of the tree, he'd change a different direction, and he was very obscured by all the foliage and branches and stuff in the way. So, you know, I shot whatever pictures I could shoot just because, why not? And I practiced editing the pictures when I got home, which is hours of editing for really no apparent reason other than the sake of practicing for when I really get a good shot that I want to uh, edit. And so yeah, that day was, eh, you could say it was pretty much a waste because yeah, the eagle landed where I thought I could shoot him, but I didn't really get any good shots that I thought were worth even showing anybody. So there again, I go back week after week until eventually, not only does the eagle land in that tree, but the eagle is posed in a way that I could get a clear shot of him that actually looks half decent. So I started taking all these pictures, hoping I wouldn't run out of uh, memory in my memory card and. I just, did, I just knew that uh, that was one of my opportunities and I didn't know how good of an opportunity I would have so I just take the best shots that I can while I have the opportunity to take those shots. And then after I shot enough of those I was like okay so I basically shot this eagle like 30 times from every different angle and all these different poses that he keeps transitioning into 
I don't really have any more shots to take, and if he doesn't do anything interesting anytime soon, then I might just have to call it a day and try again another week or something. Well, right when that was happening, there was like an event that was setting up. I don't remember what the event was for, but I think it was like some thing for kids or whatnot, and uh, there was, oh yeah, there was like a dogs, dog show, little community, cutest dog competition or something like that. But I was basically in the way of these people who were setting up, and I was standing there away from a pavilion where a bunch of people were gathered, and I had my camera aimed up at the tree. And people were looking at me like, what is this guy doing there with this camera? Is he, is he taking pictures of us or something? <laughs> and eventually, uh, one of the organizers of the group asked me what I was doing there, even though I was there before anybody else even got there. And I told him, I'm waiting for a good shot of this eagle. And he's like, what eagle? And he looks up in a tree and he doesn't even see it for like two minutes. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy or something. But uh, then he looks again, he's like, oh, now I see it. I was like, oh yeah, I hope you get some good shots or whatever. And then he told everybody, yeah, there's an eagle up in a tree. He's trying to get a, a photograph of this eagle. But then he's like, but we're setting up this thing here where the dogs are going to have to walk through this thing and whatever. So just so you know, we're going to start the event. And when that happens, we're going to need you to move. So there I am under pressure to either get a good shot of the eagle now or maybe just lose the opportunity. And luckily, what happened was, right before I was about to just quit and go home, it was actually very hot out there, and I thought maybe I would, you know, suffer heat exhaustion or something. Um, I, I was just about to just walk away. I even took my camera off the tripod and just had it still trained on the eagle. I never took my eyes off the eagle the whole time. Except for maybe a short glance to like where my car is so I can think about where I'm going and not like trip over anything while I'm bringing my gear uh, back to the car. And right as I was just starting to walk away, the eagle starts opening up his wings and then I brought my camera up and I was going to get a shot at what I thought was just going to be the eagle with his wings open. But it was even better than that. The eagle jumped off the branch and dove downward. And right when he did that, I snapped a few quick shots while he was gliding downward in the air. And, you know, then he took off and who knows where he went from there. But it was a really nice shot. And that's, that's how it happened. It wasn't just me going somewhere and waiting for something to happen. Um, I had to stay focused. And I had to also be concentrating on the task at hand the whole time all this was going on. If I wanted to achieve that goal, I couldn't just sit there and wait for it to happen. I had to be working toward executing the actions that needed to happen while I was waiting for the opportunity. And that's just, you know, a silly little story about a good picture I took of an eagle. And if you want to see it, it's actually the first picture on my newest blog post that I put. It's donnypodcast.blogspot.com. I'll put the link in the description of this episode. But what about our interpersonal relationships, like I was speaking of in the beginning? Well, I have a funny story for that. I have these two friends, 
and I'm using fake names for anonymity so nobody can get offended or whatever, but the guy, I'll call him Dave, and there's a girl that I'll call Jess. Well, Dave got to know Jess. Jess had like a style that I think a lot of people would stereotype as like basically how a stripper would dress and like the style that a stripper would wear. So like really showy, fancy shoes that aren't really practical. So it's not like shoes, shoes that you might want to really walk around with for any long duration of time, but they look really good. Uh, really not long nails that have a lot of decorations on them, glitter and probably cost three hundred dollars to get those long nails done and she liked to wear these uh, tops that show her midriff and either very skin tight pants or like really short shorts and the eyelashes and everything just all these different things that make her look very showy very flashy and are kind of like pretentious like over the top and so when Dave was getting to know this girl he didn't know what she did for a living but he had a suspicion based on like her personality how outgoing she was and just how fun she was plus like her style and what he perceived that style to kind of be as he got to know her, they got to become friends, and uh, he eventually learned that she actually works uh, doing cleaning. Well, eventually, Jess opens up to Dave and says, like, how, wow, it's really impressive how uh, open-minded you are and how patient you are. Because a lot of guys judge me based on what I look like and my style and uh, they don't think I'm like a very smart person and they think that I don't work hard for a living or they think I do like, pole dancing for a living which you know if you ask me just say I can tell you my own personal opinion like I don't have any derogatory opinions of anybody that works in that industry because really it takes talent, it takes strength, and you have to have good people skills, and any stripper that is doing well, well, you don't do that well by being dumb. Like, if you ask me, that has nothing to do with any sort of negative connotations regarding someone's, like, intelligence or anything, because uh, I just think that it's very ignorant, but that is just kind of like a negative stereotype sort of thing that's out there, and that's kind of what she was used to. She was used to people judging her by what she looked like and her style, and people assuming that she wasn't what she was. And part of that was, she said that people would treat her like she's stupid, which, not at all. She is not. So... She even uh, told Dave, yeah, some, when I, sometimes people assume that I, I am a stripper for a living, or I do this and that for a living, or that I sell drugs and blah blah blah. And 
and Dave to be funny was like, I don't know, you got some really pretty nails and those things weren't cheap, so I thought maybe you had to be a stripper to earn that kind of money or whatever. And she had a good sense of humor. She she actually laughed at that really hard and that was like the funniest joke she's heard in a long time. And, you know, because it was so funny, they were both just laughing really hard, like they never forgot that joke. So for several months on end, even years, this has been a inside and running joke between Dave and Jess about everything about like if you have a style like that then some sort of assumption about being a stripper well one day uh, Jess posted a lot of things on social media and some of that was actually them in like a party scene where they're like dancing, kind of like doing their imitation of like what a stripper might do or whatnot, and just having fun. If I remember correctly, there was even like, you know, poles that they were pretending to pole dance on or whatnot. And that's all Dave's seen of her social media posts. It was in a story, so there was like a series of posts, but that's all that he's seen was just her and her friends dancing around and acting silly and stuff like that. So, again, uh, Dave put this post about, oh yeah, something about, now I can see why people are assuming you're a stripper, ha ha ha. But unfortunately for Dave, Jess responded back, not with laughing emojis or LOLs or anything like that, but she was like angry and was like attacking him for being so ignorant and talking about how dare you insult my family member like that and he was like what are you talking about and he thought one of the girls in the videos was um, like someone that was related to her and she let him know that a relative of hers had passed years ago and that uh, some of the videos in her story you know, included that person, and that she was basically insulted that he was calling her a stripper for some reason, which to Dave was very insulting, because never in their whole relationship has Dave ever meant to be insulting. He's only had good intentions toward Jess, like throughout their entire relationship. He's never said a mean thing to her. And for her to suddenly think that now he's coming down on her and, and saying really mean, inconsiderate things about a loved one who'd passed away, that was, that was the biggest insult, was that she assumed that he would even do such a thing. It didn't matter how many other things, she, she actually said a lot of mean things and called him like a bad person and blah 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 about how she doesn't want anything to do with him anymore. But none of that was as insulting as just the concept that she didn't trust him and that all this trust that he thought he had was fake. That she was saying that she trusted him but was at the same time assuming that he had this very mean intention with something that was a running joke that they've both known about for years. 
that they were both always chronically laughing at every time they seen somebody that had long nails or someone that wore skimpy clothing or whatever. They all made these types of jokes. When I say all, I mean the both of them, Dave and Jeff. So there's this big exchange between them and then there was like a, a lot of nothing. They haven't communicated for weeks until one day Jess finally comes back and says, okay, after looking at the history of all those posts or whatever, I realized that you never saw any of the posts that my family member was in and that you couldn't have known that these were um, videos of her birthday and plus uh, I could tell that you, you weren't calling her anything and that you were just making the same joke that we've been making and so I'm sorry about that blah blah blah. So they made up and they're friends but unfortunately that damage is done and is basically permanent because Regardless of any of that, um, Dave knows that the bottom line is that he can't open up to her like that anymore. He can't trust her that deeply anymore because he just knows that she may not have the patience to stop and think about how things can be lighthearted or a good thing, where if she perceives something be negative that she's just going to act on it rather than stopping and thinking is that really as mean as I think it is did he mean it that way how can this be a good thing that he's saying and if she's unsure asking him for clarification before retaliating on someone that she should never have even thought she had to retaliate against in the first place because like I said, in their whole relationship, Dave has never intended to hurt Jess or say anything harmful to her or anything rude to her. He was nothing but nice to her from day one. So, you know, it's not like there was any reasonable expectation for Dave to think, oh, well, that's because I've done this and that in the past, so of course she's going to think I'm attacking her again. No. It wasn't like that and so because for the life of him Dave thought well I've been nothing but good to her and yet she's still assuming that I'm attacking her I guess I can't uh, trust her anymore I can't be that open I can't make these risky jokes and who knows what else I can't trust her with because she might take it the wrong way or do this and that to hurt me so even though she's made her apology and they've accepted it and they've made up as friends again that scar is still there there's nothing that can really be done uh, in that relationship to undo that damage and a lot of people will disagree with that kind of a statement but really just think about in your own lives when someone says something to you that Maybe it feels like they're telling you a hurtful truth that you just need to hear and then they try to make up for it later and say, oh no, I apologize, that's not true, blah blah blah. And then you think about, well, I, I can no longer you know, see that person the same way as I saw them before because if that's what they're going to do to me, then now I know that. I know that 
not only would they think about doing something like that to me, or maybe they've been thinking that way about me, but they're actually going to act on it and they're going to say something like that that might injure my, um, you know, career or relationship or blah, 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 any, anything like that. So when things like this happen, it can leave a lasting injury to that interpersonal chemistry that can really never be undone, no matter how many apologies and forgiveness and all that is in place. Because, you know, if you ask me, from what I hear from Dave, he fully forgives Jess for assuming the worst of him and then also retaliating against him about it. But he's learned his lesson. He learned, okay, well, some people I can't trust with this type of stuff or with anything more serious because that just might happen and she's one of those people that I can no longer trust that deeply anymore. Damage is done. And the point of this whole story is how does this fit into patients and what can we do to prevent this drama that we sometimes run into? And this is another place where patience is not just sitting there and waiting for time to pass. That is, for some reason, the definition that a lot of people give when they think of patience, they think of just waiting. But it's more than that. So let's say you're in a similar situation. You receive a text from somebody that sounds very insulting, at least as far as the way you read it and what you thought the words meant that you read. Well, if you're certain that you've been attacked, then you might already just act on that in a way of just being offended without even any other thing than that. You're already acting on it by just choosing that, oh, that was offensive and I'm offended by it and now I don't like this person. Or even worse, retaliating or just coming back at them with some mean comments and saying like, oh, well, blah, 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 you're a jerk. Instead, to practice patience in this way that would prevent this negative energy, this interpersonal drama from dragging your own vibrations down and possibly even causing your vibrations to lower in such a way that you descend into, let's say if you think you're about in the fourth dimension, descending into the third dimension again and fighting with all these other people that have their this drama all the time. Well, what you could do is think, okay, is this thing really as harmful as I thought it was? If you still believe that what you received is intentionally harmful, it's still not time to act on it, it's still not time to retaliate, it's time to get clarification. So then, what you could do if you're certain that someone said something that there's no way it could possibly be anything other than a hurtful comment, is it ask them like, what do you mean by that? Or even better yet, rephrase what they said, say, when you said this, are you saying this and this and this about me? Then that way, you're rephrasing it into your own words that make sense to you and feeding it back to them. And if they agree with that, and like, yeah, that's what I mean, then you know for sure then that they were deliberately attacking you. Um, but a lot of times, even that much, they'll say, oh, no, I didn't mean anything like that, you know, sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't want you to think 
anything like that. Of course, I wouldn't say something like that. But even then, they still might agree with that concept, and still the meaning is still misinterpreted. So it's still not yet time to be <laughs> offended by a statement that you thought was offensive. You might want to even double check and be like, okay, so you're deliberately attacking me about this, blah, blah, blah. And then at that point, they might be like, uh, no, I don't know where you're getting that from because, you know, we just clarified that this is what I meant. And then that would just prevent this negative energy that was never there in the first place. But it could be created by a nonsensical reaction from yourself when you misinterpret something and go on the defense and or the offensive in response to what you thought was a harmful attack to yourself, which in reality actually wasn't. So basically in a nutshell, the way patience can be practiced to prevent this negative energy and prevent from dragging your own vibrations down to a lower level is to think of what ways can something be meant in a good way if you think that something was meant to be offensive. And if you think it's offensive at that point where you can't find anything good about it, try to rephrase it, get clarification, and make absolutely sure. And at that point, if someone's really that mean that they're saying something like that to you and they don't mean any and they don't mean any good with it, then it's like, okay, then you've learned something about that person and you kinda know where you want to go with that. But most of the time I think you'll find that people don't mean things as bad as are sometimes interpreted. It happens to us all. But patience can be way more powerful than that. Everyone who has asked some very successful person, some celebrity, or just some really wildly successful business owner who seemed to have started with almost nothing and had very little overhead and yet still made this amazing international business out of it. Uh, there's a commonality with all those people and one of those things that they have is they practice patience and they practice it correctly. So, for example, there was a guy by the name of Marshall who grew up in a very poor situation and his family they didn't have much money. He lived with his mom and due to the cost of living uh, she would have to move to like cheaper places really frequently. Marshall attended several different schools before uh, he basically was done with school and from the sources that I've read he actually dropped out of high school at the age of 17 and worked a lot of minimum wage jobs and things like that but he knew what he loved to do and he knew what he wanted to be doing despite a lot of obstacles it wasn't just the poverty and the instability in his living situation, which would be enough to deter many people, most people I would even say, from achieving their goals. But Marshall dealt with racism, he dealt with a bullying, at one point a bully actually like hit him in the head with something hard when he was at high school, in a high school bathroom if I remember correctly, 
and it like fractured his skull. Uh, Marshall's mom, you know, helped him try to get him rehabilitated. She really uh, put her energy into doing the best she could for him. And thankfully, eventually he did fully recover and was able to walk and talk like normal. And, you know, that just goes to show you how difficult things were. Like, that would be, you know, something so bad that almost nobody has to go through what he had to go through. And, regardless, he stayed focused on what he wanted to be doing. He liked rhyming, he liked poetry. And his co-workers would say that he never stopped making up rhymes about every little thing. He would, like, read receipts uh, for the next order or whatnot and try to make rhymes out of that stuff. He was constantly, always, basically just rapping all the time. Just because he loved to do it and he, he loved the challenge of putting these words together. He's been doing it ever since he was very little. And he was very good. But because of the, like, racism that he dealt with, for one thing, people automatically didn't want him succeeding in the rap business. He would do very well, he was a crowd favorite, and everyone, like, thought he'd won the competition, but somehow he'd still be voted to be number two or whatnot in some of these competitions. Though, like, the spectators would disagree and they really weren't uh, choosing him. Some labels um, just thought he wasn't a good fit because he was a white guy and they figured that, you know, they didn't want him to represent their label at the time. So he had to work against all these biases and basically be denied the opportunity, even though he was 100% a real rapper. Uh, a lot of people say they like to rap and they might even call themselves rappers, but you know, a lot of rappers would tell you that rap comes from your experience, it comes from your soul, and if you hadn't been through a lot of the rough things they've been through, then, you, you know, they, they believe that you don't have the right to be rapping about it. But this guy named Marshall, he's been through some hard stuff, and, and he definitely had that root of these hardships that he can express through his poetry that you know, seems to be the root of a lot of rap music. Well, eventually, he gets his big break, he gets his label going, and he makes it to wild success. Arguably the best rapper of all time, and if you haven't guessed who it is right now, I'm gonna tell you, it's Eminem. So, again, he did this partly by patience and like 99% if not more through hard work and dedication. So yeah, if you're gonna achieve greatness, I think almost in any aspect, you'd have to put mostly hard work in consistently. The patience, yeah, you have to wait for this time to elapse and just constantly be doing it through time, staying focused, never giving up. But that doesn't mean you're just waiting for something to happen. You're working towards it. Constantly working towards it while you're waiting for good things to happen. And that is how Marshall eventually succeeded to be the wild success, the rapper that we now know as Eminem. 
And people, when they hear these success stories, depending on who you're talking to, they say that if you um, hang out with four people who are going nowhere with their lives, you'll become the fifth one. If you hang out with four millionaires, you'll become the fifth one. And if you look around in the world, there's this idea of the 99% versus the 1%. That being said, the 99% are the people that you're surrounded by, the people who don't make it to that top, where they are that 1% of very successful people. And therefore, it's very likely that if you're listening to this podcast, it might be true to you that if you look around and tell people, oh yeah, this is what I want to do, I want to be a famous rapper like Eminem, you might get this kind of like eye-roll response, like, oh yeah, well that happens to almost nobody, blah blah blah. And so they uh, basically think it's like not worth the effort. But, thing is, these 1% who make it to the top, they also put in a lot more work, they were a lot more dedicated, and a lot more determined than 99, <laughs> the 99% of people who uh, are walking around talking about how this stuff can't happen, and oh, that's for somebody else, and don't, don't throw your life away trying to do this, blah blah blah. That being said, these stories of wild success are far more common than you might think they are, and the odds are far better than you might think they are. And that's because of the way they're doing things. Uh, there's countless examples. Uh, one of my favorite is Steve Harvey. Uh, I like stand-up comedy. I myself have done amateur stand-up comedy, and I was hoping I'd get like a big break somewhere one day, until I just got, you know, really busy with my day job and uh, stuck to that, and really my schedule wouldn't really allow me to go to, to the clubs and I just kind of you know stopped putting my energy into that uh, but yeah I'm a big fan of that type of stuff and Steve Harvey's story is really inspiring because uh, he was struggling and even the jobs that he did have they weren't really doing too well for him as far as money goes and trying to afford rent and all that but he, he was good at comedy he realized that once he got on stage and started joking around people loved him so he decided that that's what he wanted to do so he went to as many comedy nights as possible tried to get on stage and give his set as many times as he could and eventually, it came push, came to shove, where it was, do I dedicate myself to this, or do I do my day job? Because he couldn't do both if he was going to get as many gigs as he wanted to get. So he decided to completely dedicate himself to stand-up comedy, to the point where, to make sure he could get to these gigs, he would actually uh, live in his car, sleep in his car for like three years, surviving mostly on bologna sandwiches. And eventually, you know, people decided they wanted to hire him as their host and have him do other gigs, and now we all know he does, like, talk shows and all sorts of things like that. So, of course, you know where that went. He made it big, and he came from the absolute bottom. So that was just a really good, inspiring story. 
Halsey is another great example. She went to a design school, according to my sources anyways. So if I'm inaccurate on any of this, I did do my research and tried to make sure that everything was as accurate as possible. But at any rate, she went to a design school that she did not finish. So she dropped out of that, went to a community college, dropped out of that as well, and eventually was homeless and even going to like homeless shelters and things like that. Uh, one point she was, I think, living with her grandma, if I remember correctly. But she was basically not in a good financial situation. But she was still dedicated to her craft. She would always be making YouTube videos of her singing and trying to promote her stuff on Tumblr and such like that. And she did that all through some very dark times where uh, she was quoted once as saying that she drank a lot of Red Bull for like three days to just stay awake for that long because she thought it would be dangerous for her to fall asleep out in the street and maybe get abducted or something like that. So uh, she's been through some really hard times but through all that she found a way to always be putting her music out there, always be trying to let her talent be known and show like what her ambitions are and what she's capable of doing. And eventually, she met a guy who thought he could record a song from her and try to get her into the music industry. And then, she did. She recorded the song that we know as Ghost. According to what I've read on her, it was like an overnight success. She woke up the next morning and found that that song had already charted. And, you know, the rest is history. She became a professional musician and that was the same concept even with basically nothing as far as money goes Halsey just stayed focused on what she wanted to achieve and she kept working toward it for a long time and even through hardships that would have made anyone just give up and find something else to do as long as it kept the roof over their head. But you don't have to do it like a lot of these examples do where they either you know didn't finish high school and couldn't get qualified for a decent job that way or you don't have to throw away your whole working life and keep working towards something that may not pay off uh, to achieve these goals. Def Leppard actually worked in a factory. They had this full-time job and they were doing concerts on weekends and whenever they had time to do these concerts. So they were actually able to build this wildly successful rock and roll career that most people believe you would have to like quit your day job for and all that before you could even get your success but here we have proof of people who just for years dedicated themselves to their craft stayed patient and made sure that through all this time that was passing they just kept working toward that goal even while maintaining a quote-unquote real job until they've achieved such success that it was clear to them that they needed to dedicate themselves to their music because they were holding themselves back 
and were able to live comfortably with the rock and roll money in the first place. So, I think that's very inspiring to know that it doesn't have to be this very dangerous sacrifice that people always allude to when they talk about, oh yeah, well, if you want to be, you know, this famous actor, or if you want to be this really successful business guy, then you have to throw everything else away, including, like, your actual job, <laughs> and hope that your ambitions start paying the bills, or something like that, because it's not like that at all. But the point is, for basically this whole episode, that patience is more than just waiting around it's also working toward the goal that you want to achieve so in interpersonal relationships patience actually has not much to do with waiting at all but more like making sure that you're making the right decisions in response to something that could be potentially damaging to your interpersonal relationships so to recap on that it's if you've got a message from someone that you're not sure how it was intended, think of in what way can that message be a good thing, and that's probably how it's intended. And if you're absolutely sure that it's meant in a bad way, get clarification, double check it, make absolutely sure before you do some sort of thing that you're going to regret, that's going to ruin your friendship or whatever else it is, uh, maybe not totally eliminate your friendship, but it might eliminate how good that used to be and how far you could trust people and things like that. When it comes to business and even sales and things like that, again, it's working toward what you want to achieve while the time is passing, while you're waiting for this good thing to happen to you that you've been working toward. Just keep working toward it and just don't take your eyes off your target. Another thing, just one little tip about avoiding problems. Some, sometimes it's literally just nothing, just no response. Simply waiting even a matter of seconds. And that can be the difference between making a sale and losing the sale. It could be a difference between creating some workplace drama between you and your coworkers and having the thing resolve itself. Two examples real quick. From my own experience was uh, we all I think we can all say this have some co-workers that were wondering like why are they even allowed to work anywhere because their conduct is just something that you'd think no one would even be allowed to keep their job after the way they act sometimes and you know, there's times where you, you meet someone who has like this attitude and they want to give you trouble about things. But if it's obvious that they're in a wrong and that their actions are inappropriate, sometimes all you need to do is just wait. It could be a simple pause of like two seconds without you responding and they will realize that it's starting to get uncomfortable and they might even correct themselves. And as far as sales go, it's a very delicate balance between letting people know the benefits of the product and how that product is going to be a benefit to them and why they should buy it and you know not overselling it because when it's oversold and it's pushed too hard it just seems desperate and then it also starts to seem that you don't actually care about them it seems more like you care about the sale 
and that's gonna just totally disillusion everything where the client might perceive that as oh never mind I thought he cared about me all he's trying to do is get this sale I don't care about this anymore anyway so whatever he said just lost all credibility because apparently he's just trying to make a sale so when you have something that you want to sell say there's a product that you're selling and you mention someone well since you wanted a computer for example that's faster the one that you want to purchase right here only has eight gigabytes of RAM but if you had 16 gigabytes that would be a lot better because there's a lot of technology that that we use today video games even apps even sites on the webs that if you try to work them with eight gigabytes of RAM you might find a lot of lag sometimes things literally locking up and crashing on you but with 16 gigabytes you'd probably do a lot better and things would be a lot smoother for you and you have less setbacks and now that you've let them know these benefits some some salespeople would push it too hard and that's where they lose a sale but that's when you want to wait and then the client would be more interested and ask a question so that's when the sale is basically made you already let them know what the benefits are they've expressed their interest by asking you more about it and that basically completes the sale so i know this has been kind of a long episode but i hope it's been very helpful if you found that this has helped you in sales in your career in your interpersonal relationships let me know in the comments also check out the blog donniepodcast.blogspot.com that's like my central hub for all the social media that i use to put out my material and all of it has to do with holistic wellness and nature whether it's my youtube channel which currently right now has a lot of beekeeping videos but it is also meant to be holistic wellness uh, i have two instagrams one's about like nature and wildlife photography technically it's about holistic wellness as well but it's, it mostly focuses on wildlife photography and nature and then the other one i have is um, Padraski holistics which is more about my fitness journey and about actual physical fitness diet and exercise things like that so thank you for listening i hope you found this entertaining and useful i'll put links to all my different social media that has all these different things because you never know which channel i'm really going to be producing on each day or each week so the blog is really where you might want to go to get the latest stuff from me it's donnypodcast.blogspot.com and that's like my central hub for everything that i put out so that whether i put it out on youtube instagram here on anchor or what you might be listening to on like spotify or any other platform you're going to be able to find it on my blog as i update my blog all right so thanks for listening catch you in the next one Thank you.